Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Gary Chevalier. Oh, I hope, as Pastor Mike said, that this message series has been really meaningful in your life as we've taken a look at generational sin and just kind of unveiled the curse that that is and how the evil one uses that to attack and destroy families way back in biblical times and even as he does it today. I really hope that you took some time last week to sit down and make your own generational sin diagram for your own family so you can look at that and see how the evil one uses it in your life to use that as a tool to set the stage to ridding yourself and your children and your children's children of the curse of generational sin for years to come. So the, the, the subject of the message today, as, as Pastor Mike alluded to, is not one that you really hear uh, taught a lot because it honestly, it gets a little risque uh, in a couple places. I, I think that's why so many pastors avoid it. But uh, it's such an amazing moment in scripture of overcoming generational sin. So we're just going to venture off in the weeds together uh, and we're going to go ahead and just buckle up and do it. And this is the story of Judah and Tamar. Okay, so now Judah is one of the sons of Jacob. He's a brother of Joseph. So if you remember the story last week when Joseph was sold into slavery, they were going to kill him and one of the brothers said, wait a minute, let's sell him and that way we get rid of him and make money. So if you remember that story, that was Judah. So he was the one who said, let's sell Joseph into slavery. So Today's account of Judah and Tamar happens shortly after that. So after Joseph is sold into slavery, that's where we, where we pick up. So Judah, the scripture tells us, goes to the region of Adullam, gets married, and he has three children named Ur, Onan, and Shelah. All right, and that's where we're going to pick up today. It's chapter 38 in Genesis, verse 6 says this, Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death. Whoa. Okay, we're going to stop right there for just a moment, uh, because that seems really harsh when you read that. He was wicked, so the Lord put him to death. But bear in mind, though, this is not wicked like the Broadway musical, like, you know, wicked, but it's really good if you just look at it from the wrong perspective. You know, it's just wicked is misunderstood. No, 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 no. That's not the wicked we're talking about here. This is wicked as in every thought was evil all the time. This is the same wicked that the Bible talks about when God chose to destroy the earth with the flood back in Noah's times. That's the kind of wicked that Ur was. So because of that, Scripture tells us he died. All right, moving on. Verse 8. Then Judah said to Onan, Sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the child would not be his. All right, I'm going to stop right there in the first half of verse 9, because if you're looking at the Bible or you've got your Bible app out, you see what's coming and you're going to realize that there's a good reason that I'm stopping in the first half of verse 9. I encourage you, read this on your own, but I'm going to paraphrase from here on out. And basically, basically, (laughs) Onan Onan intentionally prevented Tamar from getting pregnant. And so because of this, 
<laughs> he, let's see what happens. Um, verse 10, what he did was wicked in the Lord's sight, so the Lord put him to death also. Verse 11, Judah then said to his daughter-in-law Tamar, live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. Okay, let's break this down. So Onan was wicked too. It's that same word, wicked. Because in Jewish culture, if a man died without children, it was up to the, his brother to have a child with his wife to carry on his family line. Because carrying on your family line is a very important thing. But scripture tells us that Onan was wicked. He showed contempt for his brother because he knew that the child would not be his. And because the child would not be considered as his, he prevented Tamar from getting pregnant. I mean, that's really not a very kind way to treat your brother, is it? I wonder where he learned how to be unkind to your brothers. Could that be from his dad, who sold his brother into slavery? So, Onan was wicked in the Lord's sight, so now he died, and this left Judah with just one son, only one left, okay? And this, I think, is where the sequence of events really happens, and it's where we want to drill down today, is because this becomes, I believe, the pivot point of generational sin in Judah's life. And so that's where we're going to go, because generational sin really displays itself here in that Judah, number one, did not trust God here. He didn't trust God. And that goes all the way back to his great-grandmother, Sarah. You saw Sarah did not trust God with her family. She didn't believe God could give her a child in her old age, so she took matters into her own hands. And if you recall, she made pretty much a mess of it. Well, Judah, a couple generations later, does not trust God with his family. He's not going to give his son to her because he fears she may die. Now, look, he knew God's law, all right? He even acted on it with his middle son, Onan. He told Onan to have a child with Tamar, and Onan refused. And when Onan and Ur were put to death, and he was left with just his youngest son, that's where Judah's heart is really revealed. Because despite the fact that he knew God's law meant that he should give Shalat to Tamar, he didn't trust God. Look at the first part of verse 11. Here's what he says. Live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shalat grows up. Well, we'll find out in a few moments as we read on, Judah had no intention of giving his youngest son to Tamar. He didn't trust God with his children, with his family line. And so, like his great-grandmother Sarah, he chose to take matters into his own hands. And this choice was born, really, out of selfishness. It's born out of selfishness. See, he didn't want to risk losing his youngest son. Let's look at the middle section now of verse 11 there in chapter 28. The middle part of that says, For he thought he may die too, just like his brothers. See, Judah didn't trust God's plan because the only thing on his mind was what happens if Shelah 
is wicked and dies too, then I'll be the one without anyone to carry on my family line. Now, certainly he'd heard the story of his great-grandmother Sarai and how she didn't have a son until she was in her 90s. So he would have known that God was capable of giving him a son even if something happened to Shalah. But he did not trust God with his family and with his children. And that hits home a little bit. Because how often do we not trust God when it comes to our children? How often do we know the right thing to do, but we're worried? And so we don't let our our child go on that mission trip or become a missionary or quit their job and venture off and start a church or go into a profession that doesn't look like it's gonna make a lot of money, but that's what God created them to do. How often are we selfish with our children? That selfishness and that lack of trust in God's plan clouded his vision because he was afraid. And that selfishness led him to the next sin, which is disobedience. His selfishness with his final child drove him to disobedience. The last part of verse 11 tells us this. It says, Tamar went to live in her father's household. Now, in Jewish culture, when a woman married a man, she became part of that man's family and ceased to be a part of her family of origin. So Tamar was officially part of Judah's family. And so when Judah said, go live in your father's household, he was trying to get rid of her and get her out of his family. At the very least, she was his responsibility. She should have stayed with him. But that's not what he did. He sent her away. And how? How did he do it? Well, he went back to his family's old, comfortable way of handling problems, and he lied. That's what he's learned from his father, is you lie. Lies and deception. You see, his grandmother, Rachel, and his dad, Jacob, had conspired together to lie to his grandfather Isaac and steal Esau's blessing. He lied to his father about what they did to Joseph, sent his father into a depression. But that was his comfortable MO. That's what he did. So lying to Tamar and saying, hey, go live in your father's household until my son Shalah grows up. That was natural, easy to do. No problem. It was a walk in the park. Because his words said, until my son Shalah grows up, but he did not have any intention of doing that. And that was evidenced by the fact that he sent her away from his family back to go live with her father. So before we continue on, I wanted you to see in this story how natural and how easy all of this generational sin came to Judah. I mean, he even started off doing the right thing by having Onan go be with Tamar to have a child for for his oldest son. He was trying to do the right thing, but when the pressure was on, and when it really came down to the nitty-gritty and it was his last son on the line, he bailed. And he went back to generational sin, his M.O. And he lied. Think about how generational sin plays a role in your life. How easy does it feel? How normal does it feel? You grew up around it. You saw it acted out in your parents and 
and your grandparents, you learn from them that, hey, this is just how we do things. It feels normal and natural to you. It comes so easy. And the same thing is true for them. It's true for me. Like I shared last week, you know, the generational sin that I struggle with most is anger. And it feels natural to get angry and to throw things and to yell and to break things and to take that baseball bat and beat on the tree like I talked about. It feels natural. Honestly, it made me feel good in the moment. But the thing with that is, even though it made me feel better, it's not normal. It's not natural. It's sin. And I, in my journey to overcome this generation of sin, I've had to retrain myself through God's word of what normal actually is. I've had to retrain myself that when I get frustrated and upset by things that I don't like or I don't want or aren't the way that I think that they should be, I've had to learn to retrain myself that calmness is the normal thing, not the anger. Listen, it's a daily choice not to get angry at the things around me. And honestly, I still fail at it from time to time, more often than I, than I wish that I did. But it's God working through me, through Scripture, to retrain my normal. What about you? What is it in your life? What generational sin feels normal to you that you need to let God's Word redefine your normal? To redefine what is natural, to redefine your MO. Because listen, the generational sin in your life, in order to break it, you first got to even recognize that it is, in fact, not normal, but generational sin. That's what we're about to discover with Judah and Tamar. Let, let's read on. So, many years passed after he sent Tamar away. After a while, Tamar obviously figured out that Judah had no intention of giving Shalah to her as a husband. And word got to Tamar that Judah was traveling close to the city where she lived. So she devised a plan. She put on the clothing of a prostitute, put a veil over her face to disguise her identity, and went and sat at the city gate. Sure enough, Judah comes along, sees the prostitute, and offers her a goat to sleep with him. <laughs> I know that... People are people, and they've always been people, but sometimes the stuff that's in the Bible, I'm like, really? But really, it happened. So Tamar asked for Judah's seal, his cord, and his staff to hold until he got the goat to her, to which he said, okay. So she took the seal, the cord, and the staff, and Judah fulfilled his promise to send a goat, but when they came back with the goat, Tamar was gone. Well, three months later, it comes out that Tamar is pregnant. And Judah found out about it quickly because, just like today, gossip travels fast. And because Tamar is officially Judah's family, Judah says, Huh, well, she must be put to death because of prostitution. She has no husband, she's pregnant, put her to death. Now, let's pick up the story and what happens in verse 25. It says this, As she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. 
I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff these are. Bam. Drop the mic. Judah was busted. She kept his seal and cord and staff, which basically in that day and age was like a driver's license. It was a unique identifier. It was his. Everyone would know it was his. See if you recognize whose these are. And here in verse 26 says this, Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I since I wouldn't give her to my son, Shalah. (laughs) Now, I love this moment in scripture right there in verse 26 because this is a point where honesty wins. This was a turning point, I believe, in Judah's life. Because look, he could have still condemned her to death. He could have said, she's a liar. He could have said, she stole my steel and cord and staff. And everyone would have believed him because after all, she was three months pregnant without a husband. She had to be a bad person. He could have done that, but he didn't. He could have made sure that she was put to death. And I think that old Judah, who wanted to kill Joseph, old Judah could have made sure that that would have happened and then problem solved. But that's not what he did. In this moment, I think, of of transformation, when he was confronted face-to-face with his sin, I believe that's the moment that he went, that's sin. I sinned against her. And he admitted it openly. She is more righteous than I. And I think in that moment, he takes two significant steps that we can learn from when we're confronted with sin that we not necessarily realized was generational sin. The first thing is that is this. It's number one, and it's your first fill-in on your message notes. is when you're confronted with generational sin, you own it. Own it. See, Judah had lived in this generational sin for years. And even recognizing that it was sin was something he wasn't prepared to do until that moment. And you're not ready to begin breaking the cycle of generational sin until you admit and own the fact that it is a generational sin. Because it's in your comfort zone. It's what you're familiar with. This is how we do things. You have got to own it. And listen, it's easy not to own it. The evil one is amazing and how he works in us. And really, there's, there's three Ds of how the evil one keeps us from owning our generational sin that we have to avoid. And the first one is this, is we deny it. We will deny it. Oh, it didn't happen. That's not really me being angry. That's me making a point. The second one is this, we'll deflect it. Deflect it. We're going to take that, take that and blame it on somebody else. It's someone else's fault. Well, sure, I yelled, but I wouldn't have yelled if you wouldn't have done that. It's your fault. Or the final one is we just simply double down. We double down on it and refuse to acknowledge that it's even sin. Hey, I have to cheat on my tests, right? Because everyone else cheats. And then that means their grade's going to be higher than mine. And then that means they'll get the scholarships for doing the thing wrong. And that's not fair to me, right? I mean, everyone in my business has to lie a little bit. I mean, you can't make it and, lie and not lie. 
And if I, if I don't lie and my business doesn't make it, then how do I provide for my family? That's not being godly. So easy to fall into those, those three Ds. And listen, I used to tell myself that a lot when I was repairing holes in the drywall when I was young from the argument that I had had the night before. But that's not, you've got to overcome those three Ds and own it. Because something different happens when you own your sin. When you deny it, it continues to grow and take hold. But when you own it, it loses its power over you. And it sets you on the track to overcoming generational sin. And that's how God begins to show his love to thousands of generations of your descendants. So when you own your sin. And then number two, what Judah did is repent. I repent. When I own my sin, I repent. And that means you literally turn away from it. It's like 180 degrees in the other direction. I used to be going this way. Now I'm going this way. You repent. Now look, the Bible only gives us a few more details about what happened with Judah and Tamar after chapter 38. We know that later on that Judah and Tamar rejoin their brothers and go to Egypt in the story of Joseph. That happens in Genesis 46. So we know that once he owns up on his sin to Tamar, he repents. He gets back on the right track, and he goes that way. And we learn from later on in Exodus and Numbers that the descendants of Judah and Tamar are counted in the number that leave the Exodus out of Egypt and that settle in the Promised Land. So Judah owned his sin, and he repented, and that got him back onto God's track. And maybe that's what you need to do. Is there a generational sin in your life right now that you need to own and then repent so you can get back on God's track? And you can hear the Holy Spirit throwing it around in your head right now. And and you're probably thinking, oh, that must not be it, really. Those three Ds, get away from those. There's the Holy Spirit laying something on your heart right now. It's in your head. It's a generational sin that you need to own and repent from. Because look, until you are willing to admit that it's actually sin and to seek God's help, you will be plagued by it all your life. And your children and your children's children will be plagued by that generational sin. For some of you, that means asking forgiveness for sin today and choosing to follow Christ. Some of you in this room have never chosen to follow Christ. And if that's you, your forgiveness, your conquering generational sin starts with that decision to follow Jesus. And at the bottom of your message notes on the back, there is a sample prayer that you can pray that will lead you to start that relationship with Jesus. And when you do that, that's how you unlock God's promises to show love to a thousand generations. That's how you begin the process of breaking the generational sin in your life. And look, it doesn't mean that you're going to be perfect. It doesn't mean that you won't have problems. I think we have clearly shown that God's people have problems and God's people sin and God still uses them. So as we conclude, God continues to show his love to thousands of generations and it was true in Judah and Tamar's life because he showed that they were not disqualified from service. As much as a scoundrel as Judah was of all the things that he did bad, and there was a lot, and there were consequences associated with that, but Judah was not disqualified 
from being used by God. I I, I learned in this story, Judah is the son of Jacob who is in the genealogy of Jesus. I've read this story tons of times, but I never connected it to the fact that it's through Judah's line that Jesus comes about. He repented. God used him. See, Tamar gives birth to two sons, Perez and Zerah. And we learn in Matthew chapter 1, verse 3, that Perez is the son in the line of, of Jesus. And Tamar, I mean, let's, let's be real with Tamar. Uh, she was not disqualified either because she was a little bit sinful in that too. I mean, she lied and deceived to get pregnant with her father-in-law. I mean, ooh. That is way wrong. And God forgave that. Even that, God will forgive you whatever you've done, which I find very encouraging that there's nothing that I can do that if I repent, God will not forgive and still use us. I mean, he still uses me. He'll use each one of you. So, all you have to do is let him, and he will fulfill his promises because God always fulfills his promises. He promised Abraham that he would turn his descendants into a great nation as numerous as the stars, and he has. He fulfilled his promise to use his sons, to use Judah to become in the line of Jesus Christ. He he continues to show his great love and his patience to us. And here's one final nugget that I discovered brand new to me as I was, as I was reading this. Um, and I want to point it out, especially to those of you who feel a little like Tamar, who feel a little marginalized or discouraged, forgotten, maybe you're husbandless, maybe you were wronged, maybe you feel used. I want to encourage you that God never forgot Tamar. Never. Despite what happened to her, despite what she did, he took care of her and used her to fulfill his promises. And in fact, the name of Tamar actually becomes a blessing that is spoken over Jewish couples. We see it in the book of Ruth. In chapter 4, verse 12, says this, through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, May your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Take your pen real quick and underline, may your family be like that of Perez. So Perez, who was born out of sin, became a blessing. He is in the line of Jesus, and Judah and Tamar and Perez became a blessing spoken over Ruth and Boaz. So to any of you who feel like Tamar today, man, I want to encourage you. God's got you. I don't know how. I don't know when. I don't know what it's going to look like. But I do know that God has promised that he's going to take care of you. And God always fulfills his promises to you, to all of us. Will you bow your head and pray with me? Lord Jesus, God, I thank you for the story of Judah and Tamar. God, I, I thank you that you, uh, Lord, that you show us that there is nothing that we can do, God, that is too much for you to forgive and to use us 
for your purposes. Father, I thank you so much, uh, God, that you have uh, pointed out just generational sin in my life, generational sin in the lives of our church, God, that you want us to rid that from our families so that our families, God, can honor you and that our children can be rescued from the sin that's hanging over us. And so, Lord, we ask uh, right now, God, I ask that you will speak to each of us. God, help us to own that generational sin, God, to repent from it, to walk towards you so that you can show us your promises to the thousands, generations of our descendants. I pray this for me. God, I pray this for each and every one in this room. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.